With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. This is episode five. I am Derek, one of your three weekly hosts. I've got my other two hosts with me as well. Uh, Jeremy, say hi. Hello, hello. And of course, Greg. How's it going, everybody? Good to be back. Uh, This week, we are going to be talking about uh, two different topics. First, um, our kind of big episodes that are family episodes of Star Trek, where the non-core crew members um, were involved. uh, People's spouses, maybe children's... uh, parents, loved ones, etc. And then, of course, we'll be taking a deep, spoiler-filled dive into Star Trek Discovery Episode 6, Lathe or Leth, or whatever. They didn't actually say the name of this one, so, you know, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, So, yeah, let's start things off. Uh, This topic idea for a family episode was actually Jeremy. So, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a bit about your episode? Sure. Um, and, of course, this ties into the, the episode that we watched, Leth or, Leth or whatever it is, uh, because that does focus heavily on um, the connection between Michael and uh, Ambassador Sarek. Um, so I suggested we do something where it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a pretty common trope in, in all of the Star Treks where they'll happen upon the family member of one of the core core cast. Um, the one that I picked uh, was Inheritance, uh, Season 7, Episode 10 of uh, Next Generation, where they run into Dr. Tainer, uh, who turns out to be uh, Data's mom. Uh, so that is oh, yeah. The, yeah, the the wife of uh, Noonien Sung, the creator of Data and Lore and B4, though I don't think anybody talks about B4 anymore. Um I, so, I don't know. It was never clear to me that B four was actually a Soong creation and not just a ripoff. You don't think so? I thought that was. I thought he was one of the Soong like class androids. I thought they were all made by him. I don't know because he's only in Star Trek Discovery as far or uh, Nemesis, excuse me, as far as yeah. canon is concerned. Um, so I'm not really sure if he's really a Soong creation or not because they never really talk about like where he came from. I mean, he looks like Data, who looks like Soon. So I, I assume he was just like the the prototype for Lore and Data. I mean, that's why he's called B four. Yeah, I mean, he very well may have been. And in the Beta canon stuff, he ends up becoming Data after yeah. uh, Nemesis, since you know Data <sighs> dies, uploads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. sorry. Continue tangent. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just, it's a real strong emotional connection episode for one of my favorite Star Trek characters, Data. And, uh, you know, emotional connection for a character that lacks emotion uh, is always a fun sci-fi twist. Um, So she kind of unveils a big part of Data's backstory, and it's fairly late in the game for Next Gen to be learning this big piece about Data that not only does he have a mother, uh, but his mother was who designed him and who is actually the reason he was left behind on Omicron Theta after the the Crystalline Entity attacked, uh, which is like a a big core piece. so they they meet her and she kind of hangs out with Data and, and kind of wants to get to know him. But then after they go back down to the planet and there's, you know, an explosion or whatever away mission thing happens, uh, she gets knocked out. And it turns out she herself is an android and is the uh, the third uh, soon android creation that we meet, uh, not counting uh, Lol or what is Data's daughter's name? I think uh, it's Lol. Lol. Lol, yeah. Lol, yeah. <laughs> LOL. uh but yeah but then we get that um he pulls the data chip out and there's the holographic discussion which is very much like uh you know 
uh, Superman's seeing the uh, the crystal and the where it t- where he talks to his father for the first time, but it's holographic and all that. A little bit of a parallel there, but yeah, uh, just a, a very familial, strong family episode that I liked. Uh, kind of reminded me of this episode in that it's it's kind of a weird moral choice, um, and and also uh, a big a big piece of backstory where we we learn um, kind of why Data was left behind, which is another thing Michael was kind of left behind in a certain way, as we'll talk about later in this episode. Yeah, that's a really interesting episode. Part of me thinks some of it is, some of it's like emotional power was taken away when you find out that she's an android. Um, but then at the same time, of course, we care about Data as much as we do, and he's an android, so that seems hypocritical. Um, <laughs> but that's a good episode. I don't know. I, like I, I think because, yes, she gave him um, the memories of the, the colonists so that she could make him more human. And then it was in Data's hands to make her more human by not telling her he was she was an android. So even though they're both, you know, androids, I think there's still a lot of emotional impact on that one. Yes, uh, that choice by Data I thought was a really strong character growth moment for him. Because yeah. you know, he still doesn't have the emotion ship yet at this point. So this is a real um, logical and thought out decision, but at the same time shows that even without the emotion ship, he still feels things very similar to what we would think the emotion is. Um, and so what's the difference, right? Well, and, but, and with the ability of what Lore had emotion-wise, it just reconfirms the data that there is hope. That data's, data's not incapable of it. It was just the way he was designed right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Nature mm-hmm. over nurture. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. How about um, you guys? Greg, do you want to do yours? Yeah. Uh, mine is actually a season four Next Generation episode. Uh, called Re- <laughs> called Reunion, and it's the episode where Worf is reunited with Kalar and meets Alexander, his son. Uh, oh, Alexander. and that's right, little <laughs> Alexander, um, who Worf is just you know five minutes into the episode, Worf's immediately teaching him how to use a batlet. So I always <laughs> kind of, I always kind of like that dynamic. But the thing I enjoyed most about it was, you know, Kalar was um, the actress. I'm trying to think of her last name here, uh, Susie Plankson was mm-hmm. she's been in star trek she's been in like what she's in next generation deep space nine enterprise she's a recurring actress on the show um but she's like a half human half klingon hybrid and they've already introduced her in the past but she's involved with the you know the succession of kim peck the, the klingon emperor who is pulling in picard to be the arbiter of succession so you have that whole storyline and at the same time they drop in oh by the way Worf, you have a son and yeah twist Worf, yeah, and Worf kind of realizes that Alexander doesn't know much about Klingons. <laughs> He's a Klingon, but he doesn't know a lot about the history, about the what makes them who they are. And then it just, the show just doesn't hold back and immediately jumps into Duras versus Galron and the Duras family trying to take away Worf and his family's honor. And, you know, the bombing and the assassination and all this stuff going on. And Kalar's just like any Klingon female, just one-to-one equal with everybody around her, challenging them, finding evidence of what Duras is doing. And, you know, Duras kills her. And, you know, on live TV, they kill uh, Worf's, you know, mate. And Worf takes off his uh, badge. He takes off his uh, his armored sash. He grabs his bat, leaves Alexander in the room, and goes over to the Klingon ship, and they just, he slaughters Duras, and he... They're all challenged. The Klingons are all initially making fun of him, insulting him. You have no honor. And, but then the other Klingons realize like, oh, you know, well, Kalar was my mate. And it's that whole dynamic where it just repeats that even though her and Worf never finished a Klingon mating ritual, aside from having, you know, a son, but the, the <laughs> marriage, the marriage part of the ritual, let me put it that way. They didn't, details. they didn't, yeah, just details. They didn't finish the marriage part of the, the ritual. He had always considered her his mate and she, he had always considered him her mate. And the Klingons acknowledged it, and, you know, Duras is whispering into his face when they're fighting. is like, you know, if you kill me, you'll never be able to prove your honor. And Warp is essentially like, I don't care. This is this is my vengeance. You killed my the, the woman I loved. You've left my son without a mother. And the Klingons are all like, they're like, for lack of a better term, they're cheering him. They're, they're all supporting him as he does this. And he kills Duras, essentially in the long run, making Galran Emperor. You know, I mean, that's 
we got a few more episodes to go before the, the Civil War happens and all that. But <laughs> right, right. then he goes back and Picard's furious with them. And it's the Klingon part of, I mean, obviously he is Klingon, but he's relying on his Klingon heritage and he's saying, look, according to Klingon law, I did nothing wrong. And it's the, re- right. it's a reminder. And the reason, the other reason I love it is at this point, Worf is essentially part of Picard's family on the Enterprise. Picard doesn't have, you know, a wife or children, but he's got his crew and his people he's mentoring and training and leading. And, you know, it's like the, I'm trying to think of the exact terminology, but Picard's like asking him if he wants to resign or, uh, and Picard's, um, Picard was disappointed in him and that hurt Worf. And it's just, you know, Worf lost his mate. He lost Kalar. Now he's got a son and he's disappointed his captain, but technically he did nothing wrong. They cling on law. So it's. It's a pretty depressing, you know, family episode, but Worf's, oh, yeah. uh, Data is one of Jeremy's favorite characters, and Worf is absolutely my favorite, so. Yeah, it shows that dynamic of, you know, the Klingon Empire versus the Federation, right? And that, yeah, we're allies, but the cultures are still incredibly different, the laws are still incredibly different, and at the end of the day, Worf is still a Starfleet officer, and needs to follow the rules of Starfleet, and that's where that really comes into play, and the fact that Picard has helped Worf multiple times, you know, with clearing his house name and things like that, that uh, his opinion of Worf is very important. So, No, it's a good point. So, Derek, how about to you? So, as luck would have it, uh, I also picked a Worf-centric episode from TNG, uh, so we can kind of see where our wheelhouses are. Uh, Jen. I picked the uh, Season 5, Episode 16, Ethics, which I also actually wrote about um, in the ATB publishing book uh, that we gave away on our contest uh, last week. Um, so if you want to check that out, atbpublishing.com slash TNG, and I wrote about ethics. And this episode is really intense. Worf gets injured, he breaks his back, he's supposed to never be able to walk again, and... Um, at the same time, he has his son there. You know, Alex is there, and um, he doesn't. He's already lost his mother. Worf is his only real family, other than of course Worf's human parents, who barely know Alex. Um, and Worf is basically choosing um, to die. He is choosing what he believes to be the honorable death of a Klingon. Um, the uh, the Hegbot, I think, is what it was called, uh, which is basically assisted suicide. It's ritual suicide uh, by Klingons, and it has to do with when they can no longer uh, be useful to society. Um, of course, what we as humans deem useful and what Klingons do varies, um, and in this case, Worf is basically saying, if I can't be chief of security and fight in battles and you know get my honor that way. I'm nothing but a burden to everybody, so I should just die. And he tries to get uh, Riker to help him with this, because um, he needs assistance, and Riker refuses to help, and everyone's trying to push him to, to work and, and things like that. So it's this real dichotomy, again, of what does it mean to be Klingon? And he has to decide between these old, maybe rigid rules, uh, if you read them too literally, versus the spirit of the rules. Uh, and of course, we know he heals and f- gets to be blown over the bridge multiple times in the future, uh, being in more Star Trek than any other single character. So, uh, yeah, ethics. That's a good one because I remember the two doctors, Crusher and um, oh, I can't think of the other doctor. Um, they were arguing about whether or not to do the the spinal surgery and the and like the spine recreation. Yeah, uh, Doctor Russell. That's it. Yeah. And, and there's the whole... Everybody's favorite Starfleet doctor, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Russell. Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, I she's, remember this she's was... no Pulaski, I'll tell you that. Yeah, this is, this is pretty politically relevant at the time, too, because I think this was when um, Kevorkian was, was a big thing in the news. So, like, assisted suicide was kind of a hot-button issue. And for them to, to tackle it with, with Worf was, was pretty uh, politically charged at that time. Well, and something about something else about the ethics did, which we're definitely going to talk about. The more discovery it goes on, because it ties, it ties correct, correct, or excuse me, it ties directly into one of the big theories on discovery of uh, that we were kind of making fun of a couple weeks ago about how you know 
there's a there's a hidden Klingon on board the Discovery and blah blah blah. But I remember I, I remember that. Ethics did that whole spiel about how Klingon anatomy was different and like vastly different. Right. Yeah, and uh, I, they've mentioned it multiple times, you know, later about how they have redundant organs and all this other crazy stuff, and um, you know, even in uh, the original series in the undiscovered country, it was a problem because bones didn't know Klingon anatomy. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that I guess is that let's uh, move on to star Trek discovery episode six, six lathe or leth. Um, before we dive into spoilers, just overall your spoiler free thoughts. What did you guys think of the episode? Uh, I liked it. It seemed it was it was a good you know kind of uh, contained story, and you know any any time we don't go too far into Klingon territory, I'm I'm happy so far with Discovery. So this is this is a good one. I I always like when we get a lot of um, Tilly Michael uh, hangout time, so we can kind of develop those relationships. I was a little disappointed that we're still we're halfway. I mean, not quite halfway through the season, but almost halfway through the season, and we've really not met any other characters. Um, we've we've now had more like emotional character development from what's her name, Caldwell, Admiral Cornwall, Cornwell, something. Oh, the, the, Admiral. the Admiral. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I'm I'm big whenever we see those Michael Tilly interactions. I was a little disappointed in this episode that we didn't see anything else from the other characters. I just feel like. We, we keep getting deeper and deeper into Discovery without developing the cast and crew. And, like, we've seen so much of uh, Admiral Cornwell. Um, and and we've seen her and Tilly and Saru and, uh, you know, Lorca. But we, we just haven't seen anybody else. And we keep getting these moments where, you know, it cuts to them. They're reacting to things. They're obviously part of the crew and you know, have, have interesting things to offer as characters, but we just, we just don't know them yet, which is a little bit frustrating. I wish they would, you know, spread the love a little bit more. It's just kind of the, the Lorca and Michael show so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, of course the original series had the, the big three, um, but the other shows all were very ensemble heavy and this show is definitely not doing that to any, uh, any of that same level. Yeah. Uh, Greg, Greg, how about you? What about your spoiler-free thoughts? Um, <laughs> spoiler-free thoughts. This is my least favorite of all the Discovery episodes so far. Uh, and Oof. the main reason for that is not is not almost individual character actions that we'll get about when we talk, get to the spoiler section. To me, the storyline and the things that happened all felt telegraphed. Like, this had to happen for this just so we could do this. And that's just what... I didn't. I didn't like that. I um, you know, the interaction with the people is okay. I do absolutely agree with Jeremy. It's, it's might as well just be called Star Trek. You know, Burnham and Lorca. Uh, yeah. Which you know, and maybe it's because they didn't know they were going to get a second season, so they only focused on a few characters. Maybe there will be more. But that's. Oh yeah, we should we should take a moment to talk about that that hot discovery news that they just announced season two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's happening. Maybe not till twenty nineteen, but it's happening. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they they did officially announce that we're getting a, a second season of Discovery. Um, no real details as far as like episode count or production timeline, uh, but the estimates are sometime in 2019. Well, it's good to see that so, Discovery's doing well enough that they're making enough money that they want to continue with, you know, the the Excelsior of 2017, the Great Experiment, is Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I genuinely didn't have faith that they were going to the, hit the whatever numbers they needed for that because um, I just I know a lot of people have been so turned off by the the paywall, but I, I guess the numbers are good. Well, I mean, we have to remember, of course, that in most of the world it's on Netflix, right? Uh, which most of the world has, um, and so I think it's been seeing. You know, I, th- I think I saw some number like twelve point four million viewers, oh, which that's great. I mean, you know, that's that's a pretty major primetime show. Most shows don't get numbers like that. We're talking like Stranger Things numbers. Yeah. Um, and if it has a, a year to live between season one and season two where it can live on Netflix and not just CBS All Access, I think it'll pick up even more. I mean, just in the American audience. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I will say that, you know, 
the American audience is not used to being patient. I know, like, in the UK, it's very common for a show like Sherlock, <laughs> for example, or Luther, to go a couple of years without a season. Yeah. Um, and Game of Thrones is, is doing that for the first time here, and people are not super thrilled about it, but they didn't do it until seasons, you know, seven and eight, versus this is season one, and now you're going to have a year, year and a half uh, gap between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. A lot of people are, you know, might kind of forget about it, lose the hype. Um, so I'll be curious to see how they ramp the show up for season two. Yep, me too. Hopefully, maybe they'll go back to the old school where they actually do 24 episodes. Just like, I, <laughs> that'd be, I doubt that it. That would be expensive. Because most shows don't do it, <laughs> yeah. but it'd be great. Yeah, I mean, 15 is more than most. I mean, the Netflix shows are usually between 8 and 13. Yeah. And uh, we got 15 after the, the expansion from 13. So I would imagine season two will be 15. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. They do have the sets built for Discovery. Of course, we don't know how the, the season ends. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. The, the thing I do enjoy about the show so far, as much as I didn't like this episode, is there's not a lot of wasted time in these episodes. Like, that's been one of the big complaints about Game of Thrones since, like, season five. Is there will just be five yeah. or ten minutes where these two characters are doing something that has no relevance to the rest yeah. of the plot. It's just there as filler. And Discovery's not really doing it. There's filler, but it's filler that somehow is involved in what at least the characters are doing with the overall storyline. And so That's I want to stop myself before I start getting into spoilers. So Yeah. So yeah. We'll, 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 let's just go into the spoilers. The only thing I'm going to say before we do that is that uh, I ran into my first technical issues watching the show i could not watch it sunday night you and a lot of other people yeah uh it was weird it was like it it would get pixelated and jump ahead an undetermined amount of time and you know i tried everything i uh you know tried rebooting the app and rebooting the device my internet the whole nine and then of course the next day it comes out that lots of people had that problem so keep in mind that this does not affect most of the world but um you know for a show a modern show in the social media era, I had to then be careful because I mean, I'm a huge Trekkie. I'm in so many Star Trek groups and I follow so many Star Trek fans and people that I had to be really careful not to get any spoilers for the episode. Not, um, not that like a ton happened uh, that would have been spoiled, but yeah. um, either way. So that happened, but I got to watch it last night. So, okay, let's dive into spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't watched it yet, give us a pause, go watch episode six and come on back. Okay, so if you are still with us, um, what? So, Greg, let's let's start with you because I know this. You said this was your least favorite episode of the show so far. Why don't you tell us a bit about why? Well, you know, the opening stuff wasn't the problem. The whole the Sarek is in a, he's doing ambassadorial stuff. He's going on a Vulcan ship to do negotiations, and there's the Vulcan for lack of I don't know. Let's just call him. So I'm just going to say what it is. He's the Vulcan terrorist that blows yeah. up the shuttle. Strand Sarek, he's got the mind meld, the long distance intergalactic mind meld, which we can laugh at, but it's whatever. The, inter- the intergalactic mind meld with Burnham kind of snaps her up. Everybody realizes, oh, wait a second, Sarek is hurt and he and he's stranded. I'm like, that's cool. I like that because that's tension. That in, that impacts a character for Burnham. You get the whole Burnham storyline, which I'm going to let the two of you guys talk about. Um about how, you know, with the mind meld and all the stuff going on with her and her past. I'm like, that was cool. The choices that Sarek had to make with the Vulcan, with the Science Academy, or excuse me, the expedition team about Spock versus Burnham. And by the way, both your children are, one's human and one's part human. That's unusual, Spock. That's cool. I like that. What started to lose it for me was when Cornwell and Lorca were on the ship. And I don't mind the, 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 the love subplot, the romance subplot, I get that. They're two adults in wartime. They're near, they're facing death every day. I don't get, I don't mind that. That makes perfect sense. What, what did it for me was the moment she's talking about disciplining Lorca and all this stuff. And then as she's leaving his ship, she's like, Oh, and by the way, you know, I'm going to discipline you when I get back because I'm going to go fill in Sarek's position to negotiate with the Klingons. The moment they said that, I was like, well, they just threatened to take away a ship, and now she's going to get kidnapped by the Klingons, and that storyline's not going to be relevant anymore. And so it's interesting you thought that because I actually thought that Lorca had sabotaged the shuttle. Ah, well, yeah, that's 
that's that's kind of what I felt like they were hinting at was that she's put in this situation where it would be in Lorca's benefit for her to get in trouble, and he's like, "Well, we'll have to send her away." But I don't. I, it's it's kind of vague as to whether or not that was his intent. Like he he wanted this situation to happen. Oh, um, I think he definitely did. I mean, the fact that Saru's response to what. Lorca says, you know, uh, no, we're not going to go after her. Let's see what command wants us to do. Let's get our authorization. Because Lorca never gets authorization for Yeah, anything. he never does that. And The littlest thing. And that, and that brings <laughs> up the point of, is it possible that, did he warn the Klingons that they were sending an admiral instead of Sarek? Because they all knew Sarek wasn't going. So. No, I, I don't think he did yeah. that. Because I don't Ash, know how he would Ash could have. Well, in that, I mean, maybe Ash, in, in, Ash, secret Klingon might have had a, a connection there somehow. So, in which case, her just arriving just happened to be perfect for the Klingons, and that's when I was like, okay, unless there's some sort of subterfuge going on, she's going to land, and the Klingons are going to take her out somehow. And I just, I thought yeah. it was, that was just, that's just me. I thought it was weak. It, it's, it, it, yeah. I mean, I saw that coming, definitely. Like it would have been cooler to me if what they would have done is. Had the Klingons immediately announced, we do have her, and Lorca be Lorca, like you guys said. And this is unusual for him to be all carefree and whatever, we're going to wait for orders. As if he just would have immediately gone insane and said, you know what, we're going after her. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it a little bit as I was watching, and um, I I think there also might be the layer that maybe Lorca is, it feels more comfortable being carefree because he has Admiral Cornwell on his side. So he can like always get away with not following orders because she will always back him up when it comes time to you know be held accountable. So now that she's not in the mix and he has to deal with all these people that aren't as willing to put up with his bullshit. Yeah, and, uh, maybe. And we don't have Kirk around yet to show if you constantly disobey orders, you'll just get a promotion or a new ship. Right. I mean, it's it's an interesting point. I I think for me. It almost would have made more sense for him to go after her because then she's in his debt again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but on the same side, though, you can tell he really, I think she might have been the last person that he truly trusted. Oh, you know, he's yeah. put a, he's put a lot of trust in Burnham. He's now putting trust in Tyler. Uh, but I think she was the last person that he connected with on any real human, non-military level. And... When she threatened to take his ship away, not even threatened, when she told him straight up, We're, you're going to lose your ship, at least for a while. Once that was clear to him, he lost that only connection to humanity that he had left. Um, but I do think he sent her to get to get trapped or maybe even killed. I think he realized it was a trap. I think he realized that this was not going to go well um, and wanted to get her out of the way. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a big piece of it. So is is um, it possible Lorca is not just not just playing in, in in shades of gray that he's truly a legitimately evil captain? He's not evil. He has. I mean, he uh, that's, still that's, wants to serve the Federation, right? It's that thing where he has a goal, and he is not going to let anybody get in his way of that goal, right? So his goal is for the Federation to defeat the Klingons and for him to keep his his ship because that's the most important thing to him. And he will do whatever it takes to, to get those things accomplished. He is um, not moral. He is not ethical. I'm not sure I would call him evil, per so se. So if this was Dungeons & Dragons, um, he'd be more like chaotic neutral. Right, exactly. Or true, true I think neutral, that's, I think. Yeah. Or true neutral. I mean, I, no. Yeah, I've been, I've been watching uh, Enterprise, and it reminds, reminds me a lot of um, Archer stealing the warp coils in, in the Delphic Expanse, where it's just like, he's straight up resorted to piracy because he has this goal and it's wartime and he has to save like humanity as a whole it's like it's it's not necessarily an evil move but it's it's definitely machiavellian um i see but, okay i really like that plot thread in enterprise and for me though i felt like it was the hardest decision he ever had to make oh yeah that definitely. he had the weight of all of humanity on his shoulders literally he if if the enterprise can't make the Zindi back off on their own, the only Warp 5 ship, then we might all be killed. He really thought that that was true, and he hated what he had to do, 
but he he had he felt he had to do it. I don't think he ever really forgave himself or was comfortable with that decision. Versus with Lorca, where I feel like he just if you're in his way, he will deal with you. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's that's a, another theme I think of this episode that we we see the parallels. Um, we see characters kind of becoming their true selves. So we see Michael finally at the end of this episode kind of breaking that Vulcan facade of, of emotionlessness and and getting a big smile on her face and saying, hi, let's let's meet for the first time. I'm, I'm Michael Burnham. I'm a human. Uh, at the same point, we also see Lorca saying, like, please don't take this away from me. This is all I've got. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's that's the true Lorca that he's that he puts the wall around is the, the scared scared guy who has has seen some dark stuff and kind of feels backed into the corner and that his only weapon against every you know the world that is conspiring against him is the discovery yeah yeah no it's 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 a good point um we see a lot more of who these people are that that goes for tilly um especially because you learn you know where she begins the episode and ends the episode she has found a path for herself, and she's a very confident person. You know, she may be a little socially awkward at times, but we all can be. And she is very confident in who she is and what her abilities are. And uh, she continues to really be a fun character that I'm really into. I really like seeing her on screen. Yeah, I was I was desperately saving up uh, dilithium in Star Trek timelines on iOS so that I could try and get her as a character from this event that they're doing. And I just nice. I just keep getting Tyler covers, I've, or I've got <laughs> three Tylers now, but no Tillys. It's really disheartening. She, she's still the character I can relate to the most, just because yes. yeah, because she's yeah. she is awkward, but she's happy. She's confident, but she she's weak at some points. I'm like, that's it. She's not not every character has to always be stoic and perfect. I mean, I get Burnham. Because she was raised with Vulcans for what eighteen years at least, so I, I get that. I get her stoicism, but I kind of like seeing these character flaws in Lorca and uh, Tilly. I character flaws is a bad term to use with Tilly, um, but the humans, the, the no, human it, it, side of things. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. We all have character flaws. None of us are perfect, and I think that's like one of the the big criticisms that TNG gets is that it's so sterile that these yeah. characters are so perfect. That it's almost laughable at times when they're when they're when they are not perfect because it's so silly. Um, versus Tilly is just she's a normal person who you know of course she's very intelligent and she's very driven right, but she's still a normal person. She still has things that make her uncomfortable, that make her upset, that make her excited and happy, and all those different things. You drop f bombs. That's the it. casual sex thing with Lorca and Cornwell. And I know the internet's like massively divided on this. It's why I have trouble paying attention to forums and Reddit and all that. Just because everybody just goes to the complete negative dive. And like I said, like five or ten minutes ago, it was one of the things of the episode I actually understand the most. You know, they're constantly facing death. I mean, they've obviously been friends of some kind for a long time. Especially the way Cornwall was talking to him about, you know, I've seen you, I've known you, I've seen what you were, and I've seen what you're becoming. And... Mm-hmm. For her to know her, know him that that well, him making a pass at her—I mean, I get it. That's a human thing. Um, it's, yeah. it's unusual for Star Trek, kind of, but not really. If you look at the Kirks and the Rikers, uh, and I mean, they're well. It's I think it's the I think it's the only time that a ranked character had sexual relations with a higher ranked character. That's. Might be, yeah, kind of like an admiral to a... Like a, ca- a captain to an admiral. Now, I guess in Voyager, of course, you had Balana and Tom Paris. She she outranked him. But, um, oh, come on. You know Picard and Acheo. Come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> but that's, that's really what I mean is, is the captain yeah, level. Yeah, you're right. right? Uh, the the yeah. captain and an admiral. Um, because that's a direct uh, hierarchy, right? Whereas, like, you know, Dax and Worf... On Deep Space Nine, I mean, yeah, I think she outranked him, uh, if I remember correctly. But uh, but either way, they're both you know commanders and that kind well, of thing. And that's so, kind of there's to Paul and Trip. Uh, to Paul and Trip. Well, to Paul, to Paul though was sub commander. She had a Vulcan designation. That's true. So, it's a little. See, I guess this is why I liked it. I I didn't mind it so much. I in fact liked it. The character aspect of 
Lorca and Cromwell having some sort of attraction to each other, even if it's not a a real relationship. I mean, that's reality. I always like seeing the real side of humanity in TV shows. And like Derek, you said, Star Trek Next Generation was criticized because the characters were, I mean, they were like the ideal person. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always yeah. refer to Game of Thrones, but it's like what the author said, George R. R. Martin, about, you know, the best stories are about the human heart and conflict with itself. And you get that with Lorca, and I love it. In fact, look at all the stuff that happened in the episode, and I'm still talking about Lorca. I need to stop. So, <laughs> well, no, but you make a good point though, because like a character like Lexwana Troy on TNG stands out in a very specific way, and on Deep Space Nine she stood out mainly because they would pair her with characters like Odo, right? But if you were to take her and put her on Voyager or uh, Discovery where the shows don't take themselves quite as seriously. Um, she doesn't, she's not as ridiculous. She blends in more. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a funny yeah. thing to think about. Like imagine, imagine Tilly uh, having a one-on-one conversation with anyone from next generation. It would, they would seem like aliens to her because it would be so bizarre to have someone who has a real personality and, and like flaws talking to all of these people that are just so sanded edges off and, and perfect. And the Steel Derrick's Thunder, the Lwaxana Troy example, imagine the Lwaxana Troy meeting Tilly and seeing this beautiful, brilliant, but shy woman, what Lwaxana would try to do to her to get her to become more outgoing. You know she would just make it her own personal goal. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be amazing. (laughs) All right, so let's let's move on a little bit here. Let's talk about Tyler. I know a lot of people still think he's a Klingon. I got to be honest, it makes less and less sense to me. I know they want you to think that. But it just doesn't work for me at all. I yeah, I'm not buying yeah, it. Yeah, it 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 seems like it's it's an intentional misdirect so that they can either undercut the misdirect and say like, haha, we fooled you, or do do the the double double and be like, oh, we made it so obvious that you'd think it wouldn't be it, but it is it, and it's going to be like a double twist. It's I'm I'm interested to see where it goes because he's definitely you know, ominous. There's, there's something going on there. He's, he's not just like, I'm, I, I refuse to believe he's just a soldier that happened to have a relationship with the, the albino Klingon, you know, who we already saw have this kind of emotional relationship with the other Klingon that they made a big point of. It it would almost, it would almost be more entertaining for the storyline. If instead of him being a, a Klingon that had lots of plastic surgery and all this, that he's somehow during his seven months they broke him and turned him into a double agent of some kind. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I mean um, Michael even said that there's no way a human could could physically take on that many Klingons. Yeah, she does say that. And of course, you know, you saw his score uh during the uh the training exercise and you know, he got thirty six kills and Lorca got, you know, twenty four. Uh clearly he's he's a skilled being of some kind, but Star, Star Trek has done a lot of Treknobabble, Technobabble things to explain stuff. And the idea that at this time period we could have a Klingon become so human physically that we would not notice it in any type of exam just just seems far-fetched. Well, the two livers and like the, the eight-chamber heart and... and Exactly. But we also know that um, he was... Or that they went back to the matriarchs, and the matriarchs have some some grand, you know, abilities that we've yet to see. There's there's a lot of ancient ancient Klingon science that that appears to be on the verge of magic. That I, I feel like there's really anything that they could they could pull out at this point. Like I mean, yeah, he could have had you know something to do with the eugenics project, but why is he no longer an albino? I I don't know. It would have made more sense if they I turned just, him into another species and. Or made him look like another species that maybe humanity hasn't encountered, but the Klingons have. And he could have been a, a Klingon slave on this planet and blah, blah, blah. And and then Lorca rescues him and also realizes, wait a second, this guy's pretty good fire and a phaser. He's my new security chief. I wonder if Ash is going to trigger uh, Saru's threat ganglion at some point. Oh. Maybe. I mean, you would think that Lorca wouldn't care if he was human or not because Saru is his first officer. Yeah. Um, but then you start thinking about it, and you realize that most of the like the other characters are all human. That's true, except for the the, you know? the kind of android helmsman somewhere, and uh, 
Yeah, but we don't we don't even know that like that character never <laughs> yeah, speaks, never right? So you've got Burnham, Tilly, Stamets, uh, oh, uh, the Doctor. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, you know, those are your other characters. They're all human. Good point. Yeah, you know, and Lorca's human. So of the, of the main seven cast members now that are on the ship, uh, only only one is not human. That's a good. That's a very good point. So I don't know. I, I, I guess for me, it just seems like it just seems a little too convenient. And I'm not saying they can't explain it because it's science fiction, and they can just say, "Well, the good thing we invented the whatever." But um, that just that's I never like that kind of writing because it just seems forced like yeah. hey this would be really cool we don't know how to make it work so we'll just make up something and when it's an overarching plot like this it becomes more powerful of a device and that's not necessarily a good thing i'm, I'm still holding out hope that somehow their genetic tampering with with ash becomes the reason that klingons look like Worf in the future so maybe it like gets out of control and, and goes through the entire Klingon Empire and they all like that fixes the continuity of them looking like crazy monster aliens. <laughs> uh, but but in Enterprise they look like Worf. Yeah. Oh so yeah. well that's what, ten years after this? No, Enterprise oh, is, is before, yeah. Yeah, it's like ninety years earlier. Ah, damn it. That doesn't work then. So <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 still like. Don't get me wrong. They they say they they'll explain it. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt on that, but um, it's gonna be a tough thing to explain. Yeah, they might have been better off just saying, "Look, we just this is the style we wanted to go with because it's based off of yada yada," and then move on. Yeah, just don't answer any more questions about it. You're right. If the, if the showrunners would just say, "This is what we wanted to do," then people people would drop it. Yeah, because like I don't, I'm I'm not gonna argue about it. Like they look the way they look. I don't think they look bad by any means. But when they add on the, don't worry, it's all explained. Well, okay, so now I have an expectation. You've told me you're going to explain it. So how are you going to pull that off? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the other thing that makes me think that that it's going to be the what everybody expects that he's going to turn out to just be a Klingon is that I haven't been super impressed with the writing so far. Like things have been fairly predictable. Um, and and there have been a few holes and, and some questions that i don't think are going to get answered so i i kind of don't put it past them that this is going to be what it is mm -hmm. all right well let's talk about the katra long distance calls that uh, burnham keeps taking that are, i'm sure are uh, collect calls right so uh so yeah so this of course is an extension of uh the wrath of khan and the fall of the next two movies after it, where uh, Spock gives his Katra, his soul, to Bones, and Bones carries it for a while. Um, this is that same kind of concept. So at some point, Michael Burnham was near death after that bombing, and in order to save her life, Sarek mind-melded with her and shared his Katra to help her heal. So now they're, they're connected across space and time, which is uh, an interesting idea. Yeah, it reminds me of some of the uh, the science from um, Ender's Game, where they have like the the particles are separated across vast distances, and uh, their vibrations allow them to communicate. Yes. It's one of those like pseudo. Yeah, the Ender's Game Ansible. Let's Ansible, yep. yeah. Well, so in Ender's Game, though, to give them a little bit of credit in the in the sequel books, it's actually explained that the entire network is essentially the the brain system. Of a living being, yeah. All right, and so and so so like yeah, like it, it goes pretty deep. It's it. The Ender's Game books get weird. Um, yeah, I, but, I, I kind of fell off when he made the telepathic uh, sister and brother that were children in a weird spaceship out of his mind. That's when I was like, okay. oh yeah, the egg ship thing. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, I think Orson Scott Card was a guest writer on Discovery this year. So, oh well, there you go. <laughs> He, I completely world. just made that up, so CBS, please. No, <laughs> I, no I, I certainly hope not. I, I read a lot of the Ender's Game books before I knew much about Orson Scott Card himself, uh, yeah. and so uh, not not the best person on the planet. Probably uh, his skills <laughs> of an off, as an author is very different from his humanity aspects. 
Yes, yes, that is true. I mean, seriously, if you look up online, if you just want to know the timeline for the Ender's Game franchise, just like a web of what these books look like and what order to read them in, it's unreal. There's all these different branches and companion novels and, like, all this other crazy stuff. Like, there's this character in Ender's Game, Bean, who's, like, the really little kid, and he has has his own companion novel. I've read it. He has his whole series, the show. Yeah, right. Right, yeah, you, you learn about all his kids and all this crazy stuff. It's, yeah, it, and then they just did his, he just did a new prequel trilogy. It's crazy. Anyway, um, sorry, sidetrack. So, so yeah, so so the long distance Katra. How do you guys feel about that? It's interesting. I, I definitely am excited to see what Sta- Stamens does with it because Stamens got real excited when he heard that there's like oh maybe a replacement for the the my mycenium spore or whatever network. Like maybe he can travel through the soul dimension or something <laughs> yeah you just need the soul gem uh from thanos oh uh, crossover <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> greg I-, I got the feeling you're not a big fan okay there's two parts to me on this the so far the three instances they've talked about it when she was injured way back when and he did it the his mind meld excuse me then when she's on the shenzhou as it's getting just you know obliterated and he communicates with her again, and then now when Sarek is like mortally injured almost, or he is mortally injured until they save him. I'm okay if they use it in circumstances like that. What I don't want it to become is just another, I'm going to hold my fingers to my head and I'm going to think across 15 light years and immediately communicate. Because I think it takes a... Now be, yeah. be fair, she did get a small piece of metal to put up against the side of her this head. This is true. It's just, I don't want it to take away from the other aspects of Star Trek that are so, so cool, like the subspace beaming, or the subspace communications, and the the warp drive for communication aspects, because there's always that risk of, man, if our message doesn't get to them in time, they, they, we may not get help. But if they just have an answer that every time one of them stubs their toe, they can instant communicate. I, I don't want them to overuse it, is what I'm saying. Um, it, well, yeah, that, yeah, that seems to be a theme of Discovery, where they're taking out the the barrier that is kind of space travel. Like, distance is no longer a factor if they can just be anywhere, whenever. And, and now even, like, physical location isn't necessarily a problem if you can use, like, mind meld to remote desktop into someone's brain and, and reboot them. Well, it's almost I almost wish they would add some sort of risk to using it. Like, in the, the next generation, when Picard took Sarek's emotions because Sarek had that illness. Um, God, I love that Exactly. Episode. That episode, Picard basically took the illness on. Bendai syndrome. Yeah, the Bendai syndrome. He took the illness on, and Pete and you know Crusher and company were like, "Well, what if we can't reverse this?" And everybody's like, "That's a huge risk. You just risked the captain of the flagship. The the negotiations are important, but there was a risk to it." You know, there was. Well, in Discovery here, I think you're totally right that there, there's this big risk that they're going to overuse it because if you look at the movies and the Kelvin timeline into darkness brought in this concept of well, you know the the transwarp beaming or the subspace beaming or whatever where you could transport from earth to chronos with right. a tele- with a transporter and beyond basically pretends that movie never happened yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so yeah there's there's no giant vengeance section 31 there's no beaming from planet to planet across you know vast hundreds of light years they just skip all of that and I think they realize that, wait, we just created a bit of a problem for why you would ever need a starship. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which, you yep. know, and it's, my, and it's entirely my fault because in 2009 Star Trek, when they did the, 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 the excuse me, the transport from planet to ship, I, I never remembered them calling that transport beaming. And then in, the, and then in uh, Into Darkness, it was. And then I was like, holy crap, beaming from one moon to a planet in the same system is one thing versus, going, like you said, they're going from Earth to Kronos. At that point, why even send a ship to Kronos? Just beam over a thousand torpedoes and just hope for the best. I mean... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so this this runs that same risk, is that if she can connect to Sarek whenever they want, you know, it's almost like you have Call a Friend available after every question. Well, and that, that's what I worry about, that in like four or five or six episodes from now, the Discovery is going to be surrounded by, you know, nine Klingon battlecruisers and... She's going to hold up her hand, you know, Professor X style, and then all of a sudden, 30 Vulcan warships drop out of warp. And I'm going to be like, oh, why? And (laughs) speaking of conventions that they're already kind of wearing out the welcomes of, we start this episode two in another one of Michael's dream sequences. 
it's like we're she is constantly just having dreams that we are seeing i think this is the fourth one in six episodes yeah good point yeah that is interesting yeah but the the Uh, thing i like about this i I don't mind whining about this um because complaints like this to me are are almost implementation complaints of the show, not necessarily the story of the show. And like I said, unless her little super mind meld ruins an episode. But it shows you the overall strength of what the show's doing with some of the characters and with at least some of the storyline. Although, like Jeremy's been saying, you know, this is the sixth episode and we we still don't know exactly what's going on with the war. We keep getting, like, we keep, yeah. still keep getting, uh, getting glimpses of it. Yeah, it would be kind of cool if they gave us some type of progress report in some way uh, to know here's how much time has passed in the war and here's the systems and, and that kind of thing. I think that would be yeah, interesting. Remember there was that episode of Deep Space Nine before they talk about retaking DS9 during the war and they're talking about, oh, the Seventh Fleet or whatever. We're waiting for reinforcements. And Bashir walks in. He's like, oh, we've heard from the Seventh Fleet. Only only 12 ships survived. And and uh, Martok screams. He's like 12 out of 104 and that just shows that, that one 25 second clip just lets you know but that things are not going well for the next generation. They don't have to show anything else. It was that yeah, one right. clip just to go things aren't going well or things could be going well. Then again, like you, we talked about a couple weeks ago with yesterday's Enterprise. Apparently, you know, the that war with the Klingons didn't go well for us either. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, because at the end of the day, you would think the Klingon Empire should be able to take the Federation in a fight. They're um, a warrior culture, yeah. But... Uh, Especially yeah. if they can grant cloaking technology as a reward. Yeah, just at will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that seems a little a little sketchy to me that they're like it's that easy to install. It's like swapping out your RAM sticks or something. Like yeah. I don't know. I just I feel like cloaking technology should be complicated. Although maybe somehow they'll tie it into the original series storyline where the Vulcan where they excuse the Vulcans. Where the Romulans traded cloaking technology for warbirds or warships from their Klingons. Maybe right, maybe in a right. couple episodes there's gonna be a Romulan on board. With the Klingons showing them how to install cloaking technology. So, They specifically yeah. said that Romulans were completely off the table in, in the uh, first episode of that After oh, yeah. Trek I, Maybe it's just another misdirection, I hope. Now, uh, maybe. T- to be fair, only the Federation hasn't seen the Romulans in like 80 years or 200 years or whatever it was. Uh, there's no reason the Klingons haven't seen the Romulans. That's a good point. Well, and also, don't we find out in Nemesis or one of them that the Vulcans and the Romulans are, like, they have a long history together? They're, no, that's actually in Unification in yeah, TNG. They're, oh, that's, they're this, basically, that's the same, basically the same species almost, just like a subspecies of each other. But Right, when they had the uh, psychic weapon yeah, that they were yeah. looking for the pieces of. Yeah, I mean, basically what happened was that the a group of Vulcans decided to embrace their emotion, and they left the planet. This is basically what happened, and then you got Romulus, yeah. um, and that's that's what that is. Um, all right, so before we run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about Stamets, because he seemed like a completely different character oh, yeah. this week. He's real giddy. So my question is, is he giddy because he was really that excited, or... Is he really a different version of himself like they were trying to imply at the end of last week's episode? Well, I mean, he's he is at his core a, a scientist who's obsessed about this one field of study, and he's probably been at it for a long time, and now he's basically his own test subject. So it wouldn't make sense that he's, you know, he's no longer has that frustration of having incomplete jumps and, and not having control over the tardigrade and all this stuff. So, I mean... It's it's fair that he would have this bit of a personality shift because the things that were making him grumpy would no longer be making him grumpy. I still say he's turning into a water bear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Did you see the controversy about the uh, the game developer who said that they took his idea? No. No. There's a big thing going around. I, I know I used to be a game developer, and I some of the people in my, my network on Twitter, they said that there's a guy who made a game that's still in early development, but the core of the game involves a giant space tardigrade that is used for transportation across like space-based distances. And uh, there are side-by-side comparisons to... Uh, some of the the graphics that he uses for it, though I've I've seen them, they're they're pretty crude on his end. Uh, but he started development on this game and presented some stuff about it uh, before Discovery was even picked up. So that that might become a lawsuit at some point. But it was, it was interesting to see the uh, the side by side on that. 
I mean, that's going to be tough since a tardigrade is a real right. creature that exists. Uh, you can't really have a trademark on that. Right. You know, it's like, you know, uh, the uh, Bugs Life and the Ant movie. You know, or ants, uh, yeah. Yeah, ants, right. Like, there there are ants. Ants are a thing. Like, I don't think you can really <laughs> stop a company from making a movie about ants. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so good luck with that, that lawsuit, but, I mean... Well, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think there's actually going to be one. It's just something that people were saying, like, "Ooh, look, things are very close." But it's, yeah, tardigrades were just a hot science thing for the last five years or so. Well, because we've learned a lot about them recently, yeah. and so it's just kind of this thing that's really interesting and different, you know. Um, well, uh, anything else that you guys want to touch on for Star Trek Discovery? Uh, so for this episode, uh, it was interesting that this is the first time we actually see Lorca sit in the captain's chair. Uh, he had not done that prior to this episode. He's always oh. walking around. So this is his first seated captain moment. Um, it was also interesting to see how the Vulcan um, logic extremist uh, killed himself or, you know, turned himself into a bomb. Uh, we didn't talk much about that, where he injected himself with some red stuff and, and just became an explosive device. Very. Uh, I feel like that has been done before. I don't remember if it was Star Trek, but I feel like that specific kind of death has happened in sci-fi. Yeah, Iron Man three, they, they all exploded. No, that was different. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, but no, there, I, I distinctly remember it being like a, a suicide, like a suicide bomber kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what it is now, but it looked really familiar. Hmm. I have to go research that. Another interesting factoid for this episode, uh, and these are all cribbed from Memory Alpha, of course, but uh, Jason Isaacs uh, did the fight choreography for a large part of that um, combat sequence in the in the hologram. Uh, just like he he choreographed the the action himself, which is which is a cool little tidbit. Yeah, absolutely. So Lorca is a bad badass in in real life and in uh, fantasy world. He, I mean, I'm not really surprised. That's why I was looking forward to seeing him in this role and. Uh, I'm also not super surprised that he's not the most just and moral character in the world. No, no offense to Jason Isaacs, but he plays this kind of character really well. Oh yeah, Malfoy. <laughs> so, yeah. I also love that Malfoy has a ship that can apparate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are not wrong. <laughs> oh man, that's the first time that occurred to me. That's lovely. That's great. Uh, some uh, other firsts for this episode. Uh, this is the first uh, time they actually mention uh, Enterprise. So tie, right. tying it back into the rest of the world. Like we saw Archer on that list of captains uh, in last week's episode, but this is the first time they straight up uh, mention that Spock is on the Enterprise, uh, kind of tying it into the uh, non-Kelvin timeline. Well, I think they even said a Constitution ship class like the Enterprise, right? That was Burnham's that, line. Yeah, yeah. It was in the... The, the opening scene on Discovery, not the one on Vulcan. Yeah, um, talking, to, yeah. talking to Tilly, that's right. Because that's the command track, and I thought it was interesting that the command track would be specific ships. Uh, that, you know, if you want to be a captain, you don't want to be on a science vessel. Right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I so love the computer uh, giving the, the helpful tips about the food. I feel like that would get annoying so fast. <laughs> yeah, but are you, I mean, it does feel like it fits the direction that our society is currently going. Uh, but I do like, and this is some people keep talking about how they've made advancements on Discovery that things look too advanced. But they have the same replicators as the original series, where it's all behind a door. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a little detail that I think people are overlooking that shows that they are paying attention. These are Star Trek fans; they know what the original series is, but they also know that it's now 2017, 51 years later, and we have to use updated special effects. Look, I just, I just don't want the computer to judge me, you know. Commander Bosco, that is your 19th taco today. I'm like, don't, look, I don't, I've had a rough day, all right? I don't, I don't need you back talking to me on this. You know, if I go, yeah, I'll probably get cut off. I need six Boulevard wheats, and the computer just refuses. I'm like, come on. Especially if it's loud enough for everyone else in the cafeteria to hear. I feel like that's just setting, setting people up for, for bullying. Now, I will be interested because they showed them drinking alcohol, uh, Lorca and uh, Cornwall, in this episode. I'm curious to see if they keep that consistent because Synthahol did not exist in the original series. That's true. So I'll be curious to see how that turns out. That was probably in Jimmy Doohan's writer. It's like, if we're we're drinking, we're really drinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's one of my favorite moments in uh, the TNG episode Relics where Scotty is on there and he's at the bar with Data. Right. And he doesn't like the synthahol and he drinks his green drink and it is it is green. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we are going to close things up for this week's episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts. Uh, thank you for uh, for tuning in, of course, to the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, Jeremy, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? I am Zen Munkin on Twitter, and I'm also hosting another uh, podcast on the network called the Saturday Morning Tooncast, where we talk about cartoons that goes up on Saturdays. And Greg? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel, and that's also the same email at uh, the underscore bittersteel at yahoo.com. And I am the Star Trek Dude on Twitter and Facebook. You can catch me on a couple of our other shows, Screen Heroes and Gamer Heroes, other podcasts on the network. Screen Heroes streams live every Tuesday night on Twitch at 9 p.m. Eastern. So come join us and chat with us on Twitch. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will catch you next week. Live long and prosper. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.